Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So there have been some big changes in Widgetsmith recently. I was wondering if you could uh, go into that a little bit. So when I made Widgetsmith, the sort of audience and the expectation I had for it were very different than the way the app ended up going, where I always thought I was making an app that was very much for a very particular audience, that it's like my kind of geeky audience that loves Apple stuff and you know just enjoys like really getting in there and tweaking stuff. And it's like I wanted to build out all these kind of nuancey features and really get into the weeds. And that was the app that I built. And then, of course, the app ended up, turned out that it was for those people, certainly. But it ended up that those people you know, represent a teeny fraction of the actual user base of the application. That actually, the main use of the app, and the like, in fact, the reason the app was successful is because it had just enough kind of like theming and aesthetic and color and font and all those kind of choices in it to allow people to express themselves with their widgets. And that was not something I expected. That was not something that I ever really saw coming for the app. But that's sort of where the app absolutely went. Which was interesting because it meant that you know, very quickly I had to look at the backlog and the roadmap that I had built sort of for Widgetsmith as I was going. You know, I tend to kind of, I have a list of features of things I want to build and modes I want to support. And at some point I have to just say, you know, this is version one, this is going to be version 1.1. And from version 1.1, version 2 of Widgetsmith, those features are very much more like doubling down on kind of more nuanced and um, more and more niche kind of like data sources or things or, or features that, you know, would it, it sort of a, make the app work in a, you know, sort of more and more unique ways. Whereas ultimately what, I, what it's like it maybe came clear is it's like what most people you want the app to do is to make their home screen look pretty. And adding like some super like okay, making it so that you can you can give it a URL that downloads and parses JSON and lets you visualize that JSON um, in an interesting way. Like that was one of the things on my like version one point one roadmap. Like that feature is really cool and interesting, and maybe one day I'll get to it. But that is useless and confusing to ninety nine percent of the people who use Widgetsmith. That is not what they're interested in. And that's not at all what they want. And so I found myself in this really funny place where I kind of had to decide if I was going to, you know, how I was going to pivot the app, essentially. And pivot is that, like, the fancy Silicon Valley word that I feel like is a bit overused. But in this case, I feel like it's very appropriate for that situation where you thought you were building something. And instead of it being the thing that you thought you were building, it turns out the audience and the market for your app is very different. And you kind of have to just rapidly turn um, – your whole application around, ideally, because, I mean, I guess you don't have to. I could have just kept going with my crazy features and ignored the 99% of the people using the app who don't care or need those features. Um, but, you know, that, that would feel foolish. That would feel like I was missing out on a huge opportunity um, for the application, for it to grow, for it to develop, for it to have more staying power and retention with those people. And so, the, like, the long story short version is I ended up essentially completely you know, threw it through i threw away my roadmap and instead have been focused entirely on um very sort of aesthetic and theming and design based uh features for the app and so 
in version two um, of Widget Smith, which came out a couple weeks ago, um, is very much entirely focused now on the concept of themes and that you can build, you know, themes and the app comes pre-built with um, dozens of different aesthetics that are kind of easy to use in the app and then you can tweak and customize them. Um, and it totally changes that sort of that concept and it's so far the, the response has been positive for it and I think it's appropriate. And it was just a really interesting thing to have to just decide that, you know, those plans I had for this app are gone. Um, I'm having to think about what people are actually using it for. And then, you know, throughout that process, and this is what will be sort of most of the rest of the episode is probably is the interesting reality of how do I, how do I work out a, what I should build and then how do I make that change in the app in a way that doesn't alienate people, doesn't confuse people, community, or sort of doing that change management um, sort of from there? Yeah, that's really tricky. I mean, I've never had to tackle as big of a change as what you're describing here with any of my apps. You know, I, I have done smaller scale changes for sure. You know, in in the lifetime of Instapaper, I had to do a bunch of small tweaks here and there to address like shifting demand or or demand I hadn't anticipated. One of the biggest ones was which was much smaller, but like on day one when I when I first released Instapaper to the App Store on day one of the App Store, or it was like day two or three of the App Store, whatever it was, um, I didn't have any way to create an account in the app because I just assumed the only people who would use the app would be people who had already used the website and already had accounts. So I just had a login screen. Um, and there was no way to like start if you had discovered the app from the app store. And I very quickly had to add that because I, I had totally mispredicted how that demand flow would, would, would happen. And it, it turned out to be a lot of demand from the app store. Um, you know, later on, like with overcast, I, I had a very long beta period before 1.0, much longer than I planned because the beta feedback that I got, um, like when, when I when I sent the first beta build to, to the testers and I was like, I think this is almost done. I think I'm going to ship it pretty soon. And, and then it turned out there was so much feedback about you know things that people didn't understand or things that I had I had made too complicated. And you know, like like voice boost used to have three different modes you could set it on. And eventually I realized that what everybody wanted was just the top mode. So I just made it an on or an off. But it used to have different settings. Like there were, you know, there and there were things like that, changes I made in the apps, um, you know, over time to address like once something gets contact with the public, y- you you realize like, oh, this thing I thought would be this way, like that didn't work out, or people didn't get that. This thing over here that I thought would be a minor thing is a major thing, so I need to work more on that. Or like what people actually want is like 40% of this plus this new feature that everyone wants that I never even thought of. And so I have to kind of, you know, pivot in that direction or, or shift over in that direction. But it's, ne- I've never had anything on the scale of what, I mean, first of all, just in, in users, <laughs> I've never had anything on the scale of widget Smith. Um, but I've also never had anything uh, on the scale of like the, the pivot that you've made with the app. And I, I hate to keep using this, you know, douchey business word, but that's what it is. Like, that's what you did. Um, you know, how, I mean, how do you even decide what to pivot to? Like before you've actually done the work, how, like, how can you tell, I mean, in, in essence, you have like effectively a massive, uh, scale feature request or a like user expectation mismatch or, or a target market mismatch. Like how do you, how do you decide what to address and how to like how to filter these like the the possibilities of what you can do versus like 
you, you can decide either like i'm going to do this thing this is what this app should be or some of the requests or expectations or ideas you can say that sounds like what they want is actually a totally different app and i'm going to decide not to serve that market yeah I feel like that tension is, I mean, it's, it's, it happens in the small level with all apps, I think, that sense of dealing with feedback and working out, are you dealing with a, a vocal minority um, of users who are using the app in a way that you don't particularly, and say you didn't particularly intend for it to be a use, but it is a possible use. And there's a vocal minority of people who are using it in this way, and they keep telling you, oh, I wish it did this, I wish it did this, I wish it did this. And if you actually listen to them, if you actually go down that road, you can actually kind of ruin the app for the sort of the quiet majority who um, you, had, you, you never hear from because the app is already doing what they expected it to do. And so why would they reach out and tell you that it was? And like I feel like that tension is just always there. And... It's like this particular app, I feel like had I had something going for me insofar as it, you know, sort of the volume of feedback and the volume of how it was being used and kind of the you know, almost like we read like cultural realities of widgets on iOS 14 um, meant that it was clear that this was something sort of bigger and different and very different than I was expecting and it would be, and what they were looking for. Like I think, and this is a good thing to look for in that feedback is there was a reason that they were using Widgetsmith in the first place. Um, that there was a reason that Widgetsmith took off and had its sort of moment in the sun, and that reason was because it was customizable. That you could make it your own. That it was it didn't just ship with you know ten themes you could choose from that what part of what made it work and i think successful is that it you know from the beginning i opened up tremendous variability to it and so it was interesting to make sure though that if i want to sort of double down on that kind of features of the app i need to do it in a way that i never want to make sure that i'm never taking something away from someone or at least i'm very careful um anytime you take a feature or an ability away from a customer because I feel like that's a situation that you can really like burn goodwill and um, like you know just shoot yourself in the foot. Like it's an unforced error. Like if you just you, there was this thing that people loved doing and you took it away. And so like that was my number one thought is that whatever feature, I, whatever feedback I take in, whatever direction I take with this, I need to make sure I'm not taking away like the reason that people like it. I'm not taking away the reason that it got successful in the first place. So when I'm hearing and seeing that people are using the app because they want to make super custom home screens, that they want to have widgets that fit their aesthetic, that for whatever, whether that's the crazy extreme version, which is like lovely and awesome to see where people have, you know, totally seamless widgets that blend in with their wallpaper and they're replacing the app icons for all their apps with shortcuts. And it's like very extreme to the version where it's just like they want a cute picture of their kids um, and they want it to be framed just right. Like both of those extremes, you know, are, are serviced by the app and you're trying to find something that kind of works with both. And so I think what it, it's like, I tried to crystallize the feedback into what, what is the actual sort of frustration that people are having when they're doing that core operation that has made the app successful, like what is the kernel of that, not just the specific complaints that I'm getting? And it's like in this case, it was that 
the two things that people really sort of wanted were a was a better starting point um, to that they didn't have to completely build an aesthetic from scratch was something that I think was kind of annoying because when the app you know in, in its first version all of the widgets start off this you know start off being like black background white text with San Francisco rounded as the font which is like as vanilla as vanilla can be and so I needed something that was better than that and then I wanted they wanted a way to have a theme that they could apply to multiple widgets at once like those were the two things that I kind of was able to boil down out of the feedback is that they wanted it to be have a good starting point and then have an aesthetic when they def- once they defined their aesthetic kind of tweaked from whatever that starting point is have a way to apply it to lots of different widgets at once and so like I tried to c- take that feedback and not get stuck in the the weeds of exactly what they're asking and instead try and boil it down to like the actual core core need. And once I had that, it's like, okay, that was what I ended up building is like in Widgetsmith 2, it's now you have themes and there's a bunch that are sort of pre-built, but for any theme, you can completely customize the theme and you can change it and you can say, actually, I want this font or I want this color or I want, um, you know, this artwork or border applied to it. And then you can say, do I want to just apply this to this widget? And so it's back, essentially back to the old model that I had in Widgetsmith 1, where you can, for each widget, you can go in and super customize. Or you can say, like, just update the theme, and then now that's your aesthetic. You can apply it to all your widgets. And it's like, that's, I think, that that process, I think, seems to have been successful. And I think it's generally a thing that I would recommend. It's like, you need to listen to your users, but try and understand what they're, what problem they're having, not the solution they're presenting. Because I had all manner of different solutions or recommendations or things that people wanted. And, you know, it's like the number of requests that I have for people, it's like, I want a, I want a different color. I want more colors in the color palette. And at some point it's like, okay, I'm just going to give you a custom color picker. Like you don't actually want um, more colors in the color palette, which you need, you, you want a very specific color. Um, and so it's like trying to listen to the the need rather than the solution that you're being, you're hearing from. Um, like that seems to have worked like so far, but it is really hard to kind of filter through it and make sure that you're appropriately weighting different people's feedback too. Like you're not just listening to the people you, you know, you know, like your little bubble, um, in whatever social media circles you roll in or like just, you're just, you know, you, some influential reviewer reviews your app and makes a feature request. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that that's something that you need to jump on and work on. Like it's, finding that right balance of enough users that it's representative um, but not like overwhelming yourself with you know reading every single support request and driving yourself crazy yeah like i've i've always been very scared to to do like what you mentioned earlier about like if i actually listen to a lot of these requests it will make my app less appealing to the to the core users like you know like when overcast first came out i mean this was 2014 if if you think back to what like non apple like independent podcast apps were like back then it was a just massive walls of preferences like just huge amounts of options and settings and it was very confusing and and even even to me as a nerd i i had trouble figuring out like in a lot of apps like what does this setting even do where is this setting <laughs> if i'm like if i'm looking for something uh why are there like seven different pages <laughs> of settings here and and so you know almost every request somebody makes to me is hey can i have an option to change the behavior to do xyz and i know that if i listen to too many of those it'll make the app worse 
I also know that when I have added features or changed behavior or things or, or added behavior options, I have so often regretted it afterwards. And and in some cases, I have then removed the regrettable feature for whatever reason. If it, it was too hard to maintain, or it caused like weird bugs that that I that I was unable to really avoid or fix, or, or whatever the case may be, um, problematic features I've, I've had to remove over time. And the people, as you mentioned, like the people who you anger for that, it generates such a level of of negative sentiment from your users who, who like whatever whatever percentage you know if you remove a feature or change a feature in a way that angers 0.5 percent of your users that doesn't seem like something that's a huge risk to you mathematically but they're going to be the angriest people in your reviews and you're going to see they're going to like i've had people who keep who keep updating their one star review every time i do a new release for something I changed like three years ago, and they're still mad, and they're going to keep updating that one-star review every single time I do a new release because I still haven't given them back this checkbox I removed three years ago that almost no one else cares about. But like, if you anger a user in a way if for a change you make that is negative, that that could stick around. They could be a thorn in your side forever. <laughs> and so you have to be so careful about that. Uh, and and that's something that I I haven't always had a good balance for, and in some ways it's made me skittish to remove features. Like as as I kind of look down um, down my roadmap here, I want to do a larger scale redesign of my app, and there are things I want to change that I I worry. Like I want to change my font. I want to change. I want to remove a lot of legacy options. Things like I have these two different modes my table cells can be in. You could either tap to play, or you could tap to expand the bottom row of buttons. And I want to remove that because it's just like here's yet more like cruft that I've accumulated over time that it just makes it more complicated for me to move forward with the app. And I and I want to get rid of it um, so I can move forward and appeal to the core users more. You know, like many of the similar things that you're ta- that you're talking about. Um, but it, it's so hard to to find that balance, and I, I haven't always been very good at it. And I, it's one of those things where there might not be a good solution. Like if you're going to get negative reviews for changing your app in a way that makes it appeal to more people, the net result of that is positive. The net result is you appeal to more people. Great. And, and you should see more people coming in over time who like have never even seen the old way, and that's wonderful. But that, that group of people who you upset by the change – like it's just it's just kind of always this perpetual thorn in your side, this perpetual source of one star reviews and angry emails that you just will never get rid of. And it's kind of hard, even though like logically and rationally, you do have to weigh the needs of the many over the over the preferences of those few. It it is still really hard to do that and to to bear the brunt of all that negativity from that small vocal minority. Um, but it's just it's one of those hard decisions you got to make. We are brought to you this week by MailRoute. Bad actors threaten your business with spam and viruses, and they're even more sophisticated in 2020. Email traffic has tripled as companies have increased the number of employees working from home on residential networks. And as admins look to mitigate associated risks to their businesses, your biggest vulnerability is probably your email. This is where MailRoute can help. When it comes to handling business email, there are a number of things that are vitally important. Security, speed, uptime, and a streamlined workflow, of course. MailRoute solves all of those problems. 
MailRoute's team was the first to build an email filtering service back in 1997, and they've been focused exclusively on email security for 23 years. MailRoute is the only service to provide one-click sync with Office 365 and G Suite, for simple and safe migration. Their API-level integration ports your data from 365 directly into MailRoute, so there's no need to duplicate your workload to activate this protection. MailRoute also meets federal compliance standards, including NIST 800-171, or NIST 800-171, I don't know, for Department of Defense Contractors. Uh, I don't know what that is, but I bet they do, and I bet it's really important. Admins also enjoy real-time log searches and real-time reporting in their custom dashboard, and your dashboard also includes granular controls to stop spam and phishing attempts, plus viruses, ransomware, and malware. So try MailRoute today and get 10% off for the lifetime of your account by going to MailRoute.net slash radar. You can even get a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. So once again, just visit MailRoute.net slash radar to start protecting your business today. MailRoute, making email better. Our thanks to MailRoute for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think something, too, that I want is probably worth talking about is the, the way in which we communicate change inside of the app and the degree to which that is, like, overt sort of change management or if that's just sort of subtle in the way that we're designing and doing kind of our user interface design when we're making a change. So they think that's like so in this circumstance, like I was dealing with a cir- cir- place where, um, like, that you know there was this old way of doing it and there's this new way of doing it, and it's like when you when you talk about say changing the overcast like row behavior when you tap on it, like it's this interesting question of is there an obvious path from the old version to the new version that is going to be kind of intuitive to your customer that if suddenly I put themes rather than attached to widgets in their own tab for example that there's like the themes tab where you go and make themes and then you apply those themes to widgets like that was one of the approaches that i came up with when i was building this and it's like very quickly i decided it's like nope this is the wrong way because it changes how the app works in a fundamental way like there's not a clear and obvious path from the old way to the new way and ideally you kind of i think you're building something like this you want to make sure that there's this like if people are just going about doing the thing that they used to expect, but now there's it's you know it's better, it's enhanced in whatever way, um, it's like it's obvious. So like in the overcast example, it's like that if you were expecting to tap when you tap a row for it to play, and now it expands and there's a giant play button there, the like the change management is reasonable about that. That it's not too crazy for a user to they might be like, huh, I like the old way better. But it's they sort of they know what's happening, whereas it's not this strange thing where now when you hit it, it takes you to this other place, and then there's a, a plus a play button you have to find. Like that version of it is perhaps more disruptive than like the middle ground. And I think there's that side of it, and there's also the interesting things where like I made a few like user interface design quest sort of decisions that I don't think are the prettiest. I don't think are like the most like flashiest design but they are intentional because they're a little bit it's like it's it's not like it's intentionally ugly but it's intentionally very clear and obvious and like what i'm specifically thinking about is like in the new theme chooser where you're picking you're choosing your widget and you pick which theme you want i wanted to make it extraordinarily obvious that you can still customize that theme and so i put a gigantic button 
in like the old like old old school iOS style with like a big rounded rect and it's very colorful and stands <laughs> out from its background and like it is clearly a button button it's not just like some text on the screen it, that has a different color to it you know sort of the which can often get cause trouble it's like nope I wanted to make the most button shaped button I could imagine put it in big letter in like big obvious um, letters and put it in an easy place to tap so it's like right at the bottom of the screen in this big obvious way and it's like it's it's not not it's like it's not the most aesthetic choice and there may come a point like down the road where i can kind of dial that back a little bit make it fit into the aesthetic of the app a little bit more better but it's it was one of those choices where i'm like i want to make sure people know that this button is still here they can still customize the font they can still change the background and so i'm going to make it very obvious that there's this giant button to do it and just kind of like you're just like I'm just laying it out and like putting a, putting a big you know spotlight on it saying like, this is how you do it. And I think I like that approach because the other version you can end up with is the like, hey, you know, the first time you launch the app, there's like a little animation pops up and it's like, here's Clippy saying, hey, a few things have changed in the app since you were last here. And what you used to do this, now you do this. Um, and like personally, every time that happens, I always find it confusing because it's like that I'm not I'm launching the app to have a conversation with Clippy. I'm launching the, the app to do something. <laughs> yeah. Users and hate so that I, approach. <laughs> and so I'm just going to hit skip. I'm going to be like, I don't care. Go away. You know, I don't I don't want a tutorial about the app right now. And then I get to the point in the app where they were the thing they were trying to communicate to me is moved or changed. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, where did that paperclip go? I need to go talk to him because like, I don't I don't know what to do now. Um, and so I feel like this is one of those things that you also just have to think about. It's like, try and think about, um, what your old users would expect and then like, make sure that there is a reasonable onboarding path. And obviously this is a great place for beta testing, for, you know, showing it to users and getting that feedback, but it's something you definitely have to think about anytime you make this kind of like a change inside of the direction of your app is make sure that the sort of the path from the old version to the new version is somewhat intuitive, or you're just going to like, you know, it's like it doesn't matter how good the new version is if people can't find it and it's confusing like that's never going to be a good a, a good situation to find yourself in yeah i mean in many ways like you can you can use the well-known dark patterns that big companies use against them in the opposite direction you can use light patterns sure. you know like you mentioned about yeah. your, your button choice your button design choices like you know hiding an action that you don't really want people to do as a just a text link that's like really small text somewhere on the screen that doesn't look like a button at all is a well-known dark pattern and people will do it less because they won't find it they won't see it it's a horrible pattern that many people use to great effect um you did the opposite you made like this giant button to make it more discoverable because and and and, you know you mentioned that like it doesn't look as pretty and this is a constant friction and and tension and trade-off between aesthetic design and functionality and it's it's not an easy balance to strike because oftentimes like i have so often done things in overcast or other apps where i i did something because it would be nicer design wise it would look nicer and then people didn't find it or they didn't understand it or whatever and and so i had to then change it to be you know more obvious or more cluttered or bigger or uglier but then people got it and I, so many times I, I get feedback or suggestions from designers or, or other users who, who suggest something that, that either is something that I directly already tried or is kind of in the vein of something I already tried. And, and I have to tell them, like, I'm sorry, like, I, it's a good idea. I wish I could do it that way. 
But I know from my own experience and from my own customers' feedback that if I do it that way, people don't see it or people don't find it or people don't understand it. So opting for ways where you are like overdoing it in the other direction, even if it's ugly, it's the right balance. It is it is the best way to do it because people will then find it. And designers will be upset. That's fine. I Designers will always be upset about something. <laughs> You know, like, think about it, you know, from us, like, from the engineering point of view, like, there's always parts of your code that are inelegant, and they have to be for some kind of practical reason. We, it doesn't, we get upset, it, because it, it isn't how it ideally would be, but the world doesn't give you ideal circumstances, and you have to make inelegant code, and you have to make ugly designs sometimes, and that's just how it works in order to achieve, like, functionality basics or reality goals, and and that's there's no exception to that here. This that definitely applies here as well. Yeah, and I think in sort of to wrap this up, I think that point is excellent. Just as a way to think about when you're pivoting your apps around like this is making sure that you're not being too precious about your original vision of the app. That once it's out in the world, it is no longer just the thing you made. It is the thing you made, and how that thing you made interacts with the world. And so, don't you can't be precious about the way you designed it originally and you thought that was so cute or so pretty or whatever that is, like ultimately if you want it to be a sustainable, viable business, you need to find the way to sort of take user feedback and how people are using your app in practice and smooth off smooth off the rough edges or make buttons bigger than you think they should be or whatever that is in the service of making the app better. Because better becomes like once it's out in the world, it becomes it's is the app useful? Is are people enjoying using it? Is it making you money because people are coming back to it time and time again? And all of those things are a place where you can't be too precious and don't get too stuck on the the, the nuances of the design or the nuances of the aesthetic. Because if you do, you're going to get stuck in version one forever, and it's never going to go anywhere. And that's that's not good for you, and that's not good for the customers. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.